Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Necessary Evil. Since you're listening right now, I can safely assume that you've passed the litmus test from episode one of not being a freaking square, or some sort of narc, and that you're tired of being a sellout commie sheep beholden to your benevolent overlords in the U.S. Senate, and you're ready to start thinking for yourself. Breaking free from the mental shackles that you've been placed under for your entire life by a bunch of smug, statist bastards who look down on you and who want to run your life, well, welcome to your awakening. Say it with me. Still a quick mental exercise. Close your eyes. I am free. I am sentient. I have intrinsic value. I am in charge of my own destiny. I don't need a gang of uppity, soft-handed pricks who run 12-minute miles and don't know how to change a tire controlling me. Feels good, doesn't it? So, for today's episode, I want to get into this whole liquidity issue that's going on and the bailouts. Uh, but first, I want to clarify something from the first episode. Buddy of mine posed a really good question in, regard, in regards to my saying that if you don't like workers leaping to their deaths from 60 floors up, you don't have to buy an iPhone. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go back to episode one. And he was basically like, you know, well, millions of people are still going to buy them, right? Which they obviously are. So what's your solution there? And, you know, we can't change the laws in China. That's out of the question. We're never going to be able to influence their laws. Okay. They, they run things how they want to run them over there. Um, I guess we could sort of impose some sort of U.S. statute on Apple, but it'd be almost impossible to surveil them and definitely impossible to actually enforce the law over there. Um, so I just, I don't think that's very practical. Um, you know, we could look at sanctions, sure, but sanctions really only work in against democratic countries who have free and fair elections, um, which obviously China does not, you know, because sanctions invariably hurt the citizenry. So, you know, the, the government and the higher-ups, they're always going to get their due either way. But the idea of a sanction is to make conditions worse for the people of a country so that they can vote the leaders out if they want it to change, right? So, like, if we're going to sanction France, um, I don't know how much oil we sell to France, but say we are selling oil to France, we want to we sanction them for some reason, um, and the people are going to get charged higher for a tank of gas, they're going to get fed up with it, and they're going to vote in people who are going to play ball. Or they're not. They don't, you know, if you don't want to do business with America, fine. Uh, but that's the idea of a sanction. Uh, but it doesn't work in the case of China or anywhere where there's no free and fair elections. Um, so sanctions are out. So now what? You can say, let's bring manufacturing back to America, which, you know, I've been saying for years. And I think that's a large reason that Donald Trump got elected in the first place uh, was at least his his uh, pressuring of, of companies to come back to America. Um, you know, stuff's going to cost a lot more. But it's certainly going to be better for the American worker and for the aggregate economy. Uh, but, you know, look at it from the other side. What happens to the Chinese worker? You know, yeah, he was making $2 an hour over there, but now he's making zero. And you want to know what happens to people who make $0 in a communist country? Let me help you out. They starve. They starve to death and they get bulldozed into mass graves with all their buddies. All right, it's not pretty. So... I don't know what the answer is, but just know whichever way you go about this, it is going to be messy. But on to today's episode, which is about this whole liquidity issue in the banks uh, and how the Federal Reserve is just raining helicopter money on everyone. So as I'm sure you've noticed, here's the problem. All the big banks are saying, we need money right now. We need cash right now. All the small businesses are saying, we need money. We need cash right now. 
90% of American people are saying, we need money. We need cash right now. Well, that begs the question, who's got the damn money? Where's the money at? Who's got it? Right? And a lot of people are realizing for the first time that money isn't real. Okay? Or at least not roughly 95% of it. And, you know, what do I mean, what do I mean by that? So the banks have what are called minimum reserve requirements. It's set by the Federal Reserve, and it defines the percentage of your holdings that you have to keep in cash on site, right? It's generally between 10 and 12%. So let's say your dad left you some money when he died. So you come to DeLuca Bank, and you want to deposit $200,000 into a savings account. All right. Well, I only have to keep 20 grand of that on site. So I take the other $180,000, and I loan it out to Zach Garrison, to build a house or open a business or whatever he wants to do. And so he pays his contractors for the labor, the material, the license fees, all that jazz. So Zach thinks he's got $180,000. I think I've got $200,000. Well, there's only $200,000 in there, okay? So you multiply that by 350 million Americans and you have got a ticking time bomb, buddy. That is a disaster. Um, and you know, when it works, it works. When everybody plays by the rules, it's great. You know, my dad was a banker. He was a real banker, an actual prudent investor, uh, something that is very hard to find nowadays. And he despised that this new system that we had devised with the marriage of Wall Street and the government. Because ideally, it's, it's a good system, because ideally, uh, you know, people need banks to loan out money. They don't have 200 grand sitting around, you know, to build a house or to open a shop or whatever, uh, or to go to college. So you need the banks to uh, loan out that money. But the thing is, to be a good banker, to be a real banker, you have to realize that you could lose. You could lose out. You have to be very, very careful when you hand out these loans, right? That donut shop that you loaned out to could be run by some guy snorting PCP and chopping up hookers in the freezer, right? You could lose all your money that you invested into the project. So, you know, if you come and ask me for a loan, I need to look at all these factors and decide if this person is worth the loan. I need to see your business plan. I need to see your financial statement, your property, your product reviews, your competition, how you're going to differentiate from your competition, your marketing strategy. I need to see all this, tear away all the BS so I can see, is this a viable business? Can I make money off of this loan? And if the answer is yes, great. I give you a sum of money at a specified interest rate that we agree upon and all is well. You make your monthly payments. You make your money, I make mine, everything's fine. If not, if it's not a viable business, then sorry, you got to come back when this, this, and this are fixed, and then maybe we can talk, right? The problem is that once the bankers realized that Congress, both left and right, would bail them out every time they failed, then what is the incentive to win? What is the incentive to exercise caution and prudence? There is none. There is none. There is no moral hazard to be found. Win or lose, the bankers win. There is no lose in their book. There is no lose. There's no incentive to be a prudent investor and to look and, and, and not hand out loans willy-nilly to anybody with a pulse, right? If if the tax man is going to come bail you out every time, right? And that's why you have ex-congressmen and presidents, <clears throat> Barack Obama, charging 500 grand for a 30-minute speech to Wall Street investors when they get out of office for playing ball with them, right? 
It, it, it's criminal. And so now everyone's shouting, oh, capitalism caused this. No, it didn't. All right. Capitalism lets the banks fail. All right. Failure is a major part of capitalism. It is the incentive to be careful. It is the incentive to succeed is that you could fail. Right. We might go bankrupt if we keep handing out all these junk loans. But no, Uncle Sam's got your back now. The problem, and stop me if you've heard this before, is again, too much government. This is crony capitalism. This isn't capitalism. The losses are socialized. That's not even close to capitalism. I mean, what are you talking about? So, and so that's my stance on general bailouts, right? But now this situation, I mean, this is something totally new, right? The difference is now these businesses were forced to shut down. They didn't fail. They were forced to shut down. So ordinarily, I'm vehemently opposed to any bailout whatsoever. But, you know, if the government wants to come and put a freeway through my house, which they can do through eminent domain, then they have to compensate me for my losses, right? It's the same thing here as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, the government forced you to close your restaurant. You have no income. So I can't expect you to, um, you know, be able to keep paying your workers. And, and, and by the way, I had, real quick, I had an Instagram poll last week. And I could not believe the responses. I asked people, I said, do you think that the government should force, the big F word, should the government force these companies to provide paid worker leave during the pandemic? And like 115 people said yes. Well, please indulge me. Where in the Sam hell do you expect that money to come from? Huh? They have no income. They have no income. Okay. They took a massive risk and massive debt and took on the massive burden of running a business to give these people a job. Thank you very much. So, you know, the vast majority of these businesses are not sitting on massive piles of cash. Over 50% of businesses fail within three years anyways. And you want to force them to pay? Uh, what do you think? You can't just shit out a hundred grand for payroll this week. I mean, what, with all due respect, what are you talking about? You're going to force me to pay. Well, guess what? She's fired then. Sorry, I can't pay you. I can't just pull a hundred grand for payroll out of my ass. I mean, what are you talking about? You know, and if you can pay, you know, these large corporations, a lot of them are paying because they do have that cash on hand. If you can pay and you want to, that's awesome. I think you should. And it would certainly bode well in the eye of public opinion. And it'll keep your employees and your customers loyal to you, which is great. But I mean... You can't just snap your fingers and make money appear. It doesn't work like that. So, but back to the banks and the liquidity issues. So the Federal Reserve is supposed to act like a buffer for these economic downturns, right? Their role, they have a bunch of roles. Their main three are to print new money, obviously. They printed 800 billion new dollars over the last two weeks, by the way. And they're not showing any signs of slowing down anytime soon. Uh, number two, they loan money to the government by buying U.S. bonds, which is what a lot of our debt, that $24 trillion debt that we have now is stored up in. And number three, they, and this is arguably the most important, they set the interest rates in the monetary policy. So they decide what the, inter, uh, what the interbank prime lending rate is. So you'll hear this also as like the overnight rates because you know back to the minimum reserve requirements we talked about earlier, these banks, they have to keep a certain amount of cash on site, right? And so if you have a run on the bank, like you're having now, people running up there to take their money out, 
then these banks have to call up. JP Morgan has to call up the Fed and say, hey, man, I need cash right now. I'm strapped. I need cash right now. And so, you know, the idea, the idea is to raise the rate when times are good, right? So, you know, if the economy's cooking, everybody's working, if you still need me to help you out, which you shouldn't, if you still need me to help you out when times are good, then I need you to pay me 10, 12, 15% interest or what have you, right? And that'll teach you a lesson to be better about your cash requirements and stop handing out as many loans, right? Um, and that way, when things do inevitably go south, you can drop the rates to ease the lending expenses and sort of buffer the recession for a little bit. That's the idea. Well, the last five years have been the hottest economy in the world and the rates have been mostly less than one. So now, when you need to drop the rates, you need to max out the credit card and, and, and keep everything afloat, you can't. It's already next to zero. You can't drop it the rates anymore. So what you may see in the future, I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud, is actually negative interest rates. That's what people are saying, that they're gonna pay banks to, t t they're gonna pay banks to take their money. It's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. So what we're doing now, we are just print, print, print into oblivion. Just absolutely print your life away. Make more dollars, make more dollars. And that's why the price of gold is going up so much and why the value of the U.S. dollar is depreciating by the day. Okay, and soon, you know, we're going to be like Germany in the 1930s where you see the pictures of the kids playing in the streets with buckets of Reichsmarks, the German currency, because it was worthless. You know, I mean, those stories, you had to pay 10 grand for a damn loaf of bread. Okay, the money was useless. It was worthless. So, listen, I don't mean to take away your optimism, but I want to be real with you guys. This could be really, really, really bad. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that when we get back to some semblance of normality, we need to have a very sobering look at the way government interferes in the economy and make some drastic changes to avoid disaster in the future. So let me know what you think we should do, and I will see you next time on Necessary Evil, where people are sovereign, where all government measure is enforced by the point of gun, and where state power is in direct conflict with individual liberty. Thanks a lot.